How do you eat your food? Are you uh, someone who eats their food quickly? So you sit down at a meal and uh, you, you enjoy your food, but you, you tend to eat quickly. And uh, do you know someone like that? Or, or on the other hand, you're one of the slow people. You just like to eat very slowly, savor the moment, and everybody else is finished and you're still sitting there. We've got both types in our family. Guess which one I am? Huh? Correct. <laughs> um, so I find it helpful sometimes to read Scripture out loud. I don't know if you do that as well. When I'm reading on my own, sometimes I just like to read it out loud. And one of the reasons for that is sometimes it helps me give meaning to the text as I read it out. Also, it's a bit like chewing my food a bit more. So I thought today, what I'd like us to do is I would like us to read this psalm together. So Erica, if you could pop the words out, that would be great. It doesn't matter if you're reading from a different version, but the words are up behind me. So shall we have a go? It's only five verses, and then I'm going to speak, and I'm going to make three points from this psalm. Let's start then. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore. The scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Lord, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. But those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. Peace be on Israel. Thank you very much. And uh, three things I want to say. The first is I trust the Lord. The second, I'm surrounded by God. And the third, I submit to the rule of Christ in my life. And as we go along, I'm hoping that we're going to say those things out loud as well. So in the very first verse of the psalm, David writes, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. Those who trust in the Lord. And I was thinking about trust in life and where there's a breakdown in trust. So for example, with Uh, the 20th anniversary of the death of Princess Diana. There's been a lot in the press and on the TV about her and about the breakdown, very quick it seemed, in in the marriage, the breakdown of trust between Princess Diana and Prince Charles. A breakdown of trust in government. We see that as well in Venezuela. There's a breakdown. The people don't, many of the people don't trust the election. They don't trust the president. And as a result of that, there's been civil unrest. We've seen a breakdown of trust as well in the medical profession with a little boy who was terminally ill, Charlie Gard. And how some people, for some people, there's a breakdown of trust with the medical profession. It's a terrible thing. And no human relationship can function properly unless there is trust. Trust is so important in life. The opposite of trust is suspicion skepticism, lack of confidence in someone or something. 
Now, unfortunately, there are going to be disappointments in human relationships. I may let you down. I may not meet your expectations. You may let me down. You may not meet my expectations. However, when we see how much we've been forgiven by Jesus, that can help us overcome our disappointments. So David's saying here, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. Now, Mount Zion is where the city of Jerusalem was built. And it was of both spiritual and strategic importance. It was surrounded by other hills. I don't know if you've ever been to Windsor Castle. Uh, Windsor Castle was originally, the original building was built by William the Conqueror in about 1076, something like that, about 10 years after the conquest. And uh, if you go up to the castle, you see right in the middle of the castle is a big earth mound, and the original castle was built on top of that mound. Why did he build it there? Well, it's obvious when you go there, isn't it? Because you've got a fantastic view of the countryside roundabout. So if any enemies are about to approach, you can see them very easily. You can get prepared. If you've got walls around, even better. It's going to make it very difficult. You can signal uh, to your other troops from a distance, light a fire, and they will come and support. So it's very strategic importance. And Jerusalem was built on a hill. And strong walls were built around it. In fact, in Old Testament times, King David, after he took it, and he didn't find it easy, the only reason that Jerusalem was ever conquered, Mount Zion was ever conquered, was because the people were unfaithful to the Lord. That was the only reason. And when they were very, very, very unfaithful, and God sent the prophets to warn and warn and warn and warn and warn, and they paid no attention, the Lord withdrew his support. We're told in the book of Hebrews that in Hebrews 12, 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. So we've come to Mount Zion, no longer a physical place, but a spiritual one. And the church is an integral part of this Mount Zion. And down through the ages, down through the centuries, many have tried to destroy the church. In fact, from the time of the birth of the church, they tried to destroy it. Even then, when the apostles went to the temple and were preaching shortly after the resurrection, and the religious leaders had them uh, thrown in prison, but the Lord sent an angel to have them released, and they went back to the temple, and they were preaching. And they got hauled before the religious authorities again, and they were forbidden to speak in the name of Jesus. But one of the guys, one of the religious leaders, he had a bit of common sense, and he said this, Acts 5.30, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activities of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So the church can never be destroyed. The church can never be defeated. Because it's supported by God himself. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. What does it mean then, if trust is so important? What does it mean to trust in the Lord? What do you think it means to trust in the Lord? If you say, I trust in the Lord, what does it mean? Well, obviously I've been thinking about this for some time. Trusting in the Lord certainly means that the Lord has your best interests at heart. Do you believe that? That the Lord has your best interests at heart. 
It means that his love for you is pure and perfect. His love for you is 100%. His love for you does not flicker. It does not fade. It does not falter. Now, these things are easy to believe when things are going well. Anybody can do that. Anybody can trust in the Lord when life is nice and smooth, things are going well, bank account's good, family's in a good situation, health is fine, accommodation sorted, work is going well. That's very easy at that time to trust in the Lord and to rejoice in Him. But life, as we know, isn't always like that. What about when there's tragedy instead of triumph, depression instead of delight, frustration instead of fulfillment? What do we do then? Can we still trust in the Lord when times are dark? Yes, of course we can. And the reason is this, and we sang about it this morning, is that Jesus came and he died on the cross and shed his blood for us. And because he did that, that demonstrates once and for all the love of God. God's love for us does not change. And we can see Jesus shedding his blood, dying for us on the cross. We see Jesus raised to life and seated at God's right hand. We see Jesus who intercedes for us. I wonder who do you see when you're going through the difficult times in your life? Who do you see? Who do you approach? We can boldly approach the throne of grace in time of need so that we can find that mercy and grace to help us. Is that something that we do when times are hard and times are difficult? Yeah, when things are going smoothly, easy to trust in the Lord. But when things are not going so smoothly, it's easy then. It can be very tempting then to, to think that God doesn't care. He's not interested. But he is. When things don't go well, he's still interested. On the back of American banknotes, it says, in God we trust. Now, that's a great sentiment if it's true. I guess it's a case of where do we find our sense of security? Is it in our government? Is it in our wealth? And boy, we are a wealthy nation. I was thinking about it yesterday. The many blessings that we have in our nation that have been poured out upon us that it's so easy to take for granted. Do we find our security in that? Do we find our security in our relationships, in our family? Do we find it in our own ability to do things? Do we find our security in our health and strength? Do we find it in our job? Do we find it in our status? Now, all these things may be helpful when used rightly. All these good benefits are from the Lord anyway, but our eternal security is found in one person alone. And it's found in Jesus Christ. And actually, the time that you will find your security in Christ most of all is when you're going through a difficult time. And I believe this, that the Lord allows us at times to go through times of hardship, times of difficulty, times of frustration, so that one, we will approach him, and two, we will find him at a deeper level. Certainly, it's been my experience over the years. Our eternal security is found in one person, Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 tells us he reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature, upholding the universe by his word of God power. Consider your situation, the things that are on your heart, the people you're praying for. We've recently had 40 days of prayer, and one of the things that we were encouraged to do was to have what was called Jericho prayers. And the idea, I guess, was that in the time of Jericho, the people circled the city. They circled it, they went round and round and round, and so they did the same thing. 
And during those 40 days of prayer, I don't know about you, I've had some Jericho prayers. Now 40 days has ended. That 40 days of prayer season has ended. But my Jericho prayers have not ended. They're still ongoing. I said, well, I'm still circling the city. Why? Well, I haven't yet seen the things that I want to see yet. But Jesus upholds the universe by his word of power. So when we are praying for those people, when we're praying for those situations, can Jesus uphold them? Can he uphold you? Consider him. Can he sustain you? Can you say, I trust the Lord? Can you say, the Lord has my best interests at heart? Even when things are not going as smooth as we would like them to. I trust the Lord. Is that a confession that we can make together? Let's do it then. I trust the Lord. Let's say it again. I trust the Lord. How about this one? The Lord has my best interests at heart. Now when you think about the, the toughest situation that you're facing right now, can you just reflect for a moment? What is the toughest thing that you're facing? What is the thing that you would like to see changed if you could change it today? If you could see something of the kingdom come that affects you personally, can you still say, the Lord has my best interests at heart? Let's say it then if you can. The Lord has my best interests at heart. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. The psalmist goes on, and the second point I want to make is I'm surrounded by God. He says in verse two, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. I want to look at this word surround for a moment. One of the things, I mentioned the Norman Conquest, which was in 1066, so almost a thousand years ago. And since that time, as far as I'm aware, our island nation has never been conquered. So that's almost a thousand years. And part of the reason for that, I'm convinced, is the fact that we're an island. And so historically, it's been a lot more difficult to seek to conquer this country. The Spanish tried it in their armada, and there was a storm, and they had to retreat. And then during the Second World War, the Germans were planning to invade England on the south coast of England. But one of the things that they realized was that the high tide in the west part, in Dorset, for example, the high tide time is not the same as it is in Kent and Dover. In fact, there's a six-hour time difference in the high tide. Now, why is that relevant? It's relevant because it makes it more difficult if you're planning an invasion by sea to land your troops. Not only that, you'd be fighting on land, you'd be fighting on it by air, and you'd be fighting by, by sea as well. You'd have the Navy to fight as well as the Air Force and the land army. So it makes it a lot more difficult. So we're surrounded by the sea. We're protected by the sea. And the psalmist is saying here, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. So if I I am surrounded, if we as God's people are surrounded by God, then we're protected, we're guarded, we're secure. I'm guarded by God, I'm protected by God. When you think about the things going on in your life, what difficulties you're facing, you can say, I'm still protected by God. I'm guarded by God. Satan has got power. Yes, but it is limited. Satan is chained up by God. 
We read that in the book of Job, how Satan could only do what the Lord permitted him to do. And it was for God's sovereign purposes that we can't always see in our lives. We think, why has that happened? Why am I going through this? Why did you not protect me as I went through that, Lord? Job could have easily said that. But the point is this, that God was protecting Job, and God does protect you. And God is watching over you. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. As Stuart Reed said a couple of weeks ago, and it really struck me, God does the night shift. He never slumbers nor sleeps. Sometimes it's our own actions, if we're honest, that get us into a bit of a pickle. So for example, simple example, I want to rush to the shop. I'm just going to be very quick. I park the car. And off I go to the shop and I come back and lo and behold, there's a yellow label sticking on my windscreen. Oh no, Lord, why did you not protect me? Well, you could have paid and that would have protected you. Or, you know, we, in our country as well and in our culture, we're very blessed, we're very wealthy, but we're bombarded day and night almost with You need this, you need that, you need the other in order for your life to be fulfilled. And it can be very tempting to think, unless I've got that 4K TV flat screen, in fact, I'd prefer to have a curved one and a 42 inches, not big enough. I need a 55. And not only that, Samsung have just brought out the latest mobile and I must have it. And I can because I've got a credit card. Woohoo! Here I go, John Lewis. And then we find... One day, the envelope comes with a heavy bang on the doorstep. Lord, why didn't you protect me? You said you would provide all my needs according to your riches in glory. We misquote the scripture. God's surrounding us does not absolve us from living responsibly, obviously. In fact, he gives us the power to do so. The fruit of the spirit is self-control, among other things. Of course, some things happen that we may have no control over. Illness, being made redundant, being on the receiving end of someone else's lack of self-control. And that's happened to, well, whether it's lack of self-control or not, I'm not so sure, but it's lack of control of a car. That much I do know, because a couple of years ago, Joy was driving one of our cars, and someone reversed into her and blamed her for it, but never mind, that's another story. And then we had it repaired, and then about a week later, someone else ran into her. And then we had it repaired again, and then someone else ran into her. So sometimes we're on the receiving end, and uh, we've got no control over things. Death. We can be on the receiving end of that. Someone in our family, or someone we love, we're close to. Do these things mean that God has taken his eye off the ball? Do these things mean that we're not protected by God? Well, can I encourage you as well, if you're thinking, I don't know what to read in the Bible, can I encourage you to read the book of Job? I know it's 42 chapters, but a chapter a day will take you six weeks. The book of Job, because Job suffers. But has God abandoned him? No, God is incredibly interested in the outcome of Job's life. It's incredible, amazing. Job has no idea what is going on in his life. He only knows he's suffering, his wealth's gone, his family's gone, his health's gone. He can't even sleep properly because he has nightmares. He's having to scrape the sores off his body with bits of broken pots. He doesn't know the bigger picture. You and I, you don't know the bigger picture. You only see a small part of it. 
And we mustn't judge God on the basis of the small picture that we see. What I'm going through, what I have gone through, we look at our life, the dangers through that lens. We look at God through that lens. And in the the end of the book of Job, God appears and speaks to Job. And as a result of that, Job says, I repent. I really didn't know what I was saying. And maybe on that great day of the Lord, we'll be doing the same. When we see the Lord high and lifted up and his glory filling the whole universe, we'll go, wow, yeah, I didn't realize. Oops. I'm sorry, Holy Father. But now I know it's hard, it's difficult, it's tough because we only see through a glass darkly is how it puts it in the authorized version. We see it as through frosted glass, like you have in your bathroom. When you look from your bathroom window into your garden or wherever it is, and it's frosted glass, you don't see it clearly, do you? You can't see clearly. If a bird flies across in the garden through the frosted glass, you probably can't identify what kind of bird it is exactly. We see through a glass darkly. Job saw through a glass darkly. He did not see the bigger picture. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. We're surrounded. You are surrounded. You're protected. There is nothing that can get you. There's no attack that can come upon you that God has not first scrutinized. That's our God who loves us. Jesus, of course, fully human, fully God, Jesus tempted, Jesus suffered, Jesus experienced physical and emotional trauma, Jesus experienced betrayal, Jesus wept, Jesus tasted death, Jesus fully understands our condition, fully, 100%. There's nothing that we ever go through that he does not completely, utterly understand. And not only that, but God completely, utterly understands you, everything about you. I went for a time of uh, ministry with, with Dave and Paul in, it might, might have been a couple of years ago, I can't remember, and um, it was really helpful. And I was sitting there and they were talking me through aspects of my life, my birth. And they said something like, I want you to picture Jesus being there at your birth. He's got a big smile on his face. And he takes you in his arms. I thought, what a fantastic picture. You know, and it's biblical, that's the thing. It's incredibly biblical. You know, you're not here, and I say this again and again and again, and the reason I say it is because I want to tear down the walls that Satan seeks to build in our lives. You're here by divine appointment. No, let nobody ever say that you are an accident. It's a lie. It's a deep, profound, horrible, vicious, terrible lie. You're here because God has given you birth. God has given you life. Not by accident, but by divine choice. And there is no one, and there never ever will be anybody like you in the whole universe, in the whole of time. And you don't need to be on the TV. You don't need to be a celebrity. You don't need to be a superstar in order to have amazing significance. You've already got it. Because God has given it to you. And he is watching over your life, and he is protecting you. He is surrounding you. I love the way the Germans put it, Gott mit uns. God with us is how we say it. Gott mit uns. I saw a program on TV was it last week. And uh, it was uh, four-year-olds went into an old people's home. Did anybody see it? 
Uh, they, it was a project that some doctors were doing, and uh, there were these old people, they were older than me. Mm, yeah. And, uh, you know, a bit doddery and this kind of thing as you get, as you get older. And um, they brought the four-year-olds in. And the four-year-olds, they did some little things with the, they organized some activities. They, I think they even had a sports day. And uh, this lady in her zimmer, you know, and uh, the children running, and, and the doctors were watching what effect it had on the older people. And uh, it brought them a sense of life and vitality, as one would imagine, which was great. But there was one sad part that came on. This very old lady sitting in a chair, and she said, she said, you know, when I die, she said, and I know that it's not going to be too far from now. I don't know who's going to be with me. I don't know if anybody will be with me. And I thought, wow. Joy and I turned to one of them and said, that is so sad, isn't it? You know, in the Bible, uh, Jacob, the patriarch, had 12 sons. One of them was Joseph. And Joseph got sold into slavery by his brothers and was in Egypt, alienated. And they told his Jacob, the dad, that Joseph was dead. He'd been killed by a wild animal, so they lied. So most of his life, Jacob was under the impression that his son was dead, son whom he loved. Terrible thing. But he finds out eventually that Joseph is alive. And so he's, he's very happy. He can't believe it of us. He's very happy. And the Lord says something amazing to him. The Lord says, yeah, go down to Egypt. That's where Joseph is. Go down to Egypt. You'll be fine. And he says this, Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. I thought that was such a precious thing for the Lord to say to Jacob, to make up to him in some way. Jake, uh, Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. And in fact, when you read the story of when Jacob died, he was surrounded by his sons. And I thought of surround, to surround, to be surrounded by God is not merely to be protected by him, which is amazing in itself. But that sense of surrounding also has that sense of being cared for and loved in this idea of surrounded. So when you think of yourself, I'm surrounded by God. You're protected by him. No weapon, it says, that is fashioned against you will prosper. Oh, wow, hallelujah. But weapons will be fashioned against you, okay? But they won't prosper. So that's good. So we're surrounded by God. So can we make that our second confession? I'm surrounded by God. Okay. I am surrounded by God. Let's say it again. I trust the Lord. Let's say that. I, again, I trust the Lord. Right, hold on to that. Hold on to that thought. Not just momentarily. Hold on to that thought on Thursday this week. Yeah? When Thursday comes. I don't know what's going to happen on Thursday, but on Thursday, quote that to yourself again. Read the psalm again. Read it out loud again on Thursday. See if you can remember. See and remind me, please, Richard, in the office if you're around, and Rich and Jen, okay? Right, the last thing I want to say is I submit to the rule of Christ in my life. In verse three, the psalmist says, the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. So the scepter represents dominion. It represents authority. It represents a rule. 
There is a kingdom of darkness, the scepter of the wicked, and there is a kingdom of light. They are not co-equal. The kingdom of light has triumphed and will be seen to triumph even more at a later date. When you give your life to Christ and accept his rule, his ways in your life, something profound happens in the spiritual realm. When you submit your life to Christ, when you give yourself to him, it means that you come out of the kingdom of darkness and you go into the kingdom of light. It means that you become a new creation. Something happens inside you spiritually. You get new birth, new life, new power, new desires that are birthed by the Holy Spirit when you submit to the rule of Christ. I don't know about you, but I do not want to live under the scepter of wickedness. How about you? Do you want to rule, live under the rule and the dominion of wickedness? No, you don't. Nobody does. Do you want to live under a corrupt government? that takes bribes, that has an unjust judicial system, that favors the rich and denies the rights of the poor? Do you want to live under that kind of regime? No, of course you don't. Who wants to live under the scepter of the wicked? I don't want to live under the scepter of the wicked. I want to live under the rule of Christ. Because when I live under the rule of Christ, there comes a harmony into my life, a wholeness comes into my life. A peace comes into my life. And that's how the psalmist ends the psalm. He says, peace be upon Israel. Peace be on Israel. What is the way to peace for a human being? The way to peace is to be reconciled to God. That's the way to peace. There is no rest for the wicked, the Bible tells us. They're like the sea, you know, tossing and turning and up and down and waves but when we submit our life to Christ, we can know the peace of God that the Bible tells us passes all understanding. Why does it pass all understanding? It passes all understanding because you can have that peace even when times are turbulent. You should not be at peace. Why are you at peace in that situation? Jesus exemplified it in that time when the storm came and he was in the boat, and he was asleep. Ah, and everybody else was panicking. <laughs> Thought they were gonna drown, whoa. I probably would've been the same. I'd've been panicking, saying, do you care what's going on here, Lord? Come on, wake up, Woo, we're perishing. And Jesus, ah, oh, asleep. Fantastic, why? Because he's in the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's what God wants you and I to have. He wants us to know the peace of God in the situations where you should not be having peace here. Oh, no, no. But Jesus wants to give it to us. Peace of God. Peace be on Israel. As we submit to the rule of Christ in my life. You know, benefits. Wow. Do you know, I know the interest rates are not very good at the moment in our country. So if you've got any savings it doesn't increase rapidly because the interest rate, the benefits are not so good. And the benefits of being a Christian are fantastic. They're amazing. They're incredible. Who else can give you eternal life? Who else can fill you with the love of God? Who else can give you peace in turbulent times? Only Jesus. Who else can give eternal significance and meaning to your life? Only Christ. So to submit to his rule is beautiful. It's wonderful, it's lovely, but it's not our natural inclination. 
our natural inclination is to do the opposite. Our natural inclination is to do what I want. I will submit to what I want. I will do what I want. Maybe occasionally I might, okay, dabble in Christianity. Just maybe, a, not too much, Phil. I don't want to get too affected by this. No, no, no. Let's submit our lives to Christ. And let's know the benefits that there are to knowing him. It does not mean that everything's going to be smooth and swimmingly great. No, no, no. doesn't mean that. But it means we have a sure and certain knowledge and hope. And there's something deep down within us. The Holy Spirit, the fire of God, the fountain of life is within us. And nothing and no one can overcome that. I don't know about you. Uh, sometimes I get depressed. All right, occasionally I get depressed. Uh, but it doesn't tend to last very long. And I think, why, why doesn't it last very long? Is it because I'm a good fighter? No. Is it because I can take, take some medicine to help me? No. And I'm not saying that those things are not helpful. Is it because people come along and encourage me? Yeah, that helps, admittedly. Yeah, that's good. But actually, there's something more than that. It's Christ within me. Christ within you. The hope of glory. You know, benefits to being a Christian? Wow. Many, many benefits as we submit our lives to Christ. Lord, the psalmist says in verse four, do good to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart, but those who turn to crooked ways, the Lord will banish with the evildoers. So God hates sin, basically. He does not turn a blind eye to it. He hates evil. He is totally opposed to it in any of its forms where they are subtle or obvious, and there will be consequences for evil. Now, we see the consequences for evil because Christ is crucified on the cross. And that's a, that's a consequence of evil, of our sin. That, but God decided to deal with our sin by nailing his beloved son to the cross that we might be forgiven. But we have to then submit to him. We have to accept that Christ has died. We have to submit our lives to Jesus Christ. And if we don't, we will be banished with the evildoers. I am the way, Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you made that journey? Have you submitted to the rule of Christ in your life? Or are you, are you a dabbler? Where are you on your journey? And actually, even as, in inverted commas, experienced Christians, where are we on our journey? Are we submitting our lives to Christ on a daily basis? Are there areas that we... You're holding back on, but perhaps we need to just submit to Christ. If you're like me, those areas, yes, I need to submit to Christ. Yep, sure thing. Let's make it our duty to do that and our delight as well. Peace be upon us that we can know the peace of God as we submit to the rule of Christ. So I'd like us to make our third confession. I'll say it first and then I'll give you a moment to think about it. I submit to the rule of Christ in my life. It means, what does it mean to submit to the rule of Christ? It means that we seek to walk in his ways. We meet with his people. We look at his word, we read his word, we get involved as we submit our lives to Christ and we seek to live out our lives in a godly way empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. 
I submit to the rule of Christ in my life. If you're able to make that confession, then make it with me right now. I submit to the rule of Christ in my life. Okay, final thing. We're gonna make three confessions. I trust the Lord, I'm surrounded by God, I submit to the rule of Christ in my life. First one, I trust the Lord. I trust the Lord. Second one, I'm surrounded by God. I am surrounded by God. And the last one, I submit to the rule of Christ in my life. Lord, will you help us to do that? It's a good confession to make, Lord. Thank you that we're even in that place where we're able to make it. That's amazing. That's already your work, Lord Jesus. I want to say thank you. And please, Lord, will you help us on Thursday (laughs) to remember. Amen.